Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. You're listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. Brought to you by Ryanair Business Plus. Business made simple. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Kieran Hancock and this week I'm joined in studio by Erlingus Chief Executive Christoph Muller. But before I start, the Irish Times is seeking to find out more about our podcast audience, how you access our shows and what improvements you'd like us to introduce. This week, we're running an online survey for our listeners. Everyone who completes the survey has a chance to win a prize of a Samsung Galaxy Tab 3. If you'd like to participate, please go to irishtimes.com forward slash podcast survey. But now it's back to Christoph. Born in Germany, Christoph took over as Aer Lingus chief executive in September 2009, a time of extreme turbulence for the airline following the collapse of the Irish economy. During his time, he has seen off a third takeover attempt by rival Ryanair, returned the company to the black with four consecutive years of profitability, paid its first dividends to shareholders and grown passenger numbers. There have been some bumps along the way. After more than four years of painstaking negotiations, Aer Lingus and its workers have still failed to agree a resolution to the deficit in their pension scheme, resulting in strike action earlier this year by cabin crew. Christoph, welcome to the studio. Christoph, let's start with current trading. How good or bad a summer was it for Aer Lingus, particularly given the disruption caused to bookings by the cabin crew strike uh, at the beginning of the summer? Yeah, we lost a significant amount of money, number one, due to the day of strike itself, uh, but uh, more severe were then the announcement of two additional days uh, that has uh, cost us a lot of bookings. We started the day after um, uh, that uh, second strike attempt with a loss of 30 million to the bottom line. We have recovered a little bit over the summer. Summer was very uh, good from the from the booking statistics. And uh, so we are in for the fifth consecutive profitable year, but uh, we have taken a little bit uh, off, the, off, the, off the top line. Right, okay. How damaging is a strike to Aer Lingus, particularly in terms of forward bookings? It's very damaging because people lose their confidence and if you have a family of, uh, of four or five and you want to take them out for the most important weeks of the year, you don't uh, want to bet whether the plane is going or not. So uh, particularly families traveling to the sun destinations have changed immediately their booking and we were of course not able to recover fully uh, from that because it was too close to the summer season. 
Right, okay. And in terms, who's the biggest beneficiary? Is it Ryanair as your biggest rival? I think the traffic immediately goes in all different directions. People do alternative traffic paths. Um, um, you cannot identify one single competitor taking a, a, a lion's share of that. I think it, that, it went all over the place. Okay, now over the past five years, things have recovered, haven't they? Everybody's talking about the economic recovery here now in Ireland. What's your view on that? Um, do you think it's real? Um, there are obviously signs of increased tourist numbers. And probably a bit more spending by Irish people, maybe going abroad. What's what's your view? Yeah, the uh, overall situation is uh, is positive. I have to say I was a little bit reluctant uh, because it was only green shots two years ago, but that has substantiated. Uh, we see a couple of different components. Um, most surprisingly, the trade between Ireland and the UK is very, very strong. And that is not limited uh, like in old times to London only. Also, the UK hinterland um, is participating in that increased trade. Uh, I believe the various initiatives launched by the Chambers of Commerce um, are now uh, showing a first result. A lot of SME uh, traffic is uh, going on. We participate uh, heavily um, uh, with full aircraft on the Irish Sea. Secondly, the um, private demand seems to be picked up. We had a very bad year last year due to the fantastic uh, weather in summer. This year was also a good summer, but people um, obviously are increasingly going back to the good old uh, patterns to... Uh, this to is Irish people going abroad. Irish people going abroad, particularly to Spain and Portugal. So really, really good. Um, overall, the North Atlantic, of course, is booming. We have reported on that at various occasions. And that is uh, a, a good portion of it is, of course, inbound tourism to Ireland, which of course yields another positive impact for the economy but there's also a lot of business travel and we see that particularly uh, on our new route to California. Yeah that's San Francisco which is a route you re-established um, after an absence of a couple of years. Why was yeah. that? Uh, at the time, we were not able to connect any passengers in Dublin, and that means we had to fill the aircraft at the time entirely from local demand, literally from Ireland to San Francisco, and that demand will never be enough to fill an aircraft on a daily basis or at least four times a week. Um, since we have uh, our hub now in Dublin, so we connect not only to the UK but to large cities in Europe, um, um, that route is a really fantastic success, and not only in economy class but also our business class load factors are very, very promising. So just to explain, people are travelling via Dublin to the United States, coming from the UK, coming from maybe Spain and other parts of Europe. Yeah, Spain is a little bit backtracking. There is not the travel time advantage, but even from cities like Amsterdam, Paris, Rome, uh, where there are uh, direct flights to San Francisco, people go via Dublin. We are very price competitive. Our cost position allows us really to be price leader in economy class on the North Atlantic. And uh, also our business class product is such that in the meantime, people from Scotland prefer to transfer in Dublin with the additional benefit of the uh, pre-customs clearance as opposed to the old uh, Heathrow pattern where you have to change terminals, you spend uh, hours on a bus. Um, no, I believe we have marked that and Dublin is certainly not the seventh largest city in Europe, uh, but Dublin is uh, now the seventh largest uh, uh, gateway on the North Atlantic. Um, that is quite remarkable. We have always enjoyed heavy competition on the North Atlantic. We have now six, seven uh, carriers flying between Dublin and Canada and the United States. Um, so there is no lack of, uh, of, of competition, but uh, we have increased our market share constantly over the last five years. And how many people are using Dublin as a hub to get to the United States? 
As I said, it's an increasing number. I think that it's the highest growth number. We opened a new uh, um, base in um, in Newcastle last year, and we had expected that more than three quarters of the aircraft would be local traffic between the UK and, and Ireland. It now transpires that half of the feeding aircraft from Newcastle to Dublin uh, are people ongoing on our services uh, to the United States. Right. Now, Ryanair is obviously a big competitor. It's right on your doorstep, an Irish-based airline, of course. Um, they've recently tweaked their customer model. They're a, a much more friendly uh, airline, we're told now, and they have a business product as well. And corporate travellers, I suppose, would have been the traditional preserve of Aer Lingus. What's this new business model that Ryanair are implementing? What's that going to mean for Aer Lingus? How much is it going to impact your business? Yeah, first of all, we are flattered because it's a carbon copy of what we have uh, introduced five years ago as our new strategy. Um, of course, every airline in the world wants to have higher yielding or higher paying business class customers. It's like a two-star hotel always wants to become a three-star hotel and so on and so forth. Um, that's easily said, but more difficult to do um, because you do not only enjoy higher yields in business class, but if you fly central airports, you have to pay higher fees. If you have pre Signed seating, you uh, lose aircraft utilization because it takes longer to turn the aircraft around. But I'm absolutely certain Michael is an accountant. He has done the exercise revenue minus costs. And if that is a promising uh, perspective, um, competition has always been good for us. And he has lots of new planes to fill as well. He's just signed a new order with Boeing. You must be very impressed. That is quite impressive, and uh, let's face it, uh, Ryanair is the airline with the highest market capitalization, not only in Europe, in the world. It's uh, it's a very successful uh, business model, and uh, if we take the last 10, 15 years as a as a as a blueprint, uh, uh, certainly the Ryanair will be able to deploy them uh, profitably into the market. Yeah. Now I mentioned in the intro that you've had a successful run over the past uh, five years. When you took over Aer Lingus, it was loss making. It's now back in profit. You've paid dividends and you've turned the strategy around uh, in many different ways. So people might be surprised to learn that you're decide- you've decided to leave next May. Why so? My contract with Erlingus has always been for five years, but uh, the timing was not right. We have to resolve the pension issue first, so I agreed with the board that uh, my time would come after six years. That will be next year in May, and uh, I hope that I leave the airline behind in a much better state than I found it. Right. Did they ask you to stay on? Of course, we have uh, we have an orderly discussion very regularly with the board, but uh, I believe it will be much easier now to find a good successor while the airline is so profitable. We have a strong balance sheet. And, Kieran, I have to remind you, already with five years, I'm the longest-serving CEO of Erlingus, I think, in the last four or five decades. And um, orderly succession has never been a strength of Erlingus. I believe that needs to be added because it's normal. You see that in soccer clubs, uh, you see that in other companies, um, we have to make the public and our shareholders uh, more used to a normal uh, succession model uh, rather than, let's say, finding a successor in a crisis. Yeah. Uh, mind you, in, in airlines, I mean, Michael O'Leary's been in his job for a long, long time. I don't know precisely how many years, but it's, it's probably uh, 20 years or more. Is it that long? Yeah, that might very well be the case. Well, certainly 15 to, yeah. to, to 20 years, I would it's imagine. Like Sir Ferguson with Manchester United, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and um, maybe a bit of stability is what Aer Lingus needs at this kind of tricky uh, juncture in its history. 
Yeah, no, we have established a, a, a completely new management structure over the, 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 the last five years. We just welcomed two new executives, uh, all absolutely subject matter experts in their field in finance, in HR. I believe we have done a lot uh, to stabilize the airline also from a management perspective. I'm not worried and I'm absolutely certain we will find a very excellent candidate. Right. So, But it was your decision to leave. And, it was definitely my And decision. was it always your in your mind to go after five years when the contract was... No, you see my flexibility. Nothing is hammered in stone, but uh, I thought the job is done and uh, it will be even more so the case next year in May. Right. So what are your plans now? What do you hope to do? Well, I will finish my job as a linguist with, uh, with my full concentration on the subjects at hand. You mentioned pension. Uh, we have a couple of other issues I'd like to see through. So um, basically my mind is occupied with the present tense, uh, not so much with the future yet. I believe it will take into the beginning of next year for me to decide or to consider uh, uh, new options. And is it another role in aviation or do you think you might look to some other industry for a role? I have uh, worked in different industries, in the express industry, aircraft manufacturing, uh, in tourism, aviation. The world is large and that is exactly what I want to do. I want to take up a completely new challenge. Okay. And you're also chairman of OnPosts. Uh, how will that impact your role as as chair of that company? Uh, that will not be impacted. It's a, It's a maybe the, 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 the greatest honor I have received since I arrived here in Ireland uh, to become chairman of the oldest uh, company in the land, 500 years. And um, that is a very, very interesting task. It will take a couple of years uh, to achieve, let's say, a new strategic positioning for that company. And I'm very, very glad that I have agreed with the shareholder to continue with that very important role. Okay, so uh, what is your contract with OnPost? Uh, how, how far out does that take you? I would say the term is normally five years. You ask me a question I cannot even answer. <laughs> but uh, as I said, I think the refreshed agreement with the government uh, to continue that role um, is, is, is a very challenging, uh, but it, it likewise very rewarding. And will you be staying in Ireland? Because I think, um, am I right in saying you bought a property in, in Hoth and your family have settled here and I think you've, you've spoken well of Ireland uh, during your time here? That is definitely what the family, what the Müller family wants. We want to stay in Ireland. Uh, we have been traveling the world uh, over the last couple of decades. Uh, my children, they like it. Uh, my son is eight. He, five of these eight years he has lived here. He speaks with a very strong northern Dublin accent. Um, my wife is very, very happy. We found fantastic friends and life in Hoth, uh, you can imagine, uh, is, uh, is fantastic. So are you hoping to secure a role in Ireland or will you have to commute? Uh, th that is too early to speculate about that. That, of course, it would be a dream, but uh, uh, I believe um, uh, I will have to show some flexibility. Right, OK. Let's talk about that pension issue because it has been rumbling now, I think, for more than four years. And you've expressed your frustration on a couple of occasions in the past at the fact that you haven't been able to secure a resolution to date. Where exactly is that issue at the moment? 
It's like conducting an orchestra where all of the musicians have never met each other before. Uh, we have as many parties in that uh, um, entire exercise as uh, musicians in an orchestra. Some of them are more prominent, like Erlingus and the DAA. Some others are much smaller, but they all have the right to contribute uh, to the decision-making. I suppose we should probably just fill in listeners in relation to it. This is a joint scheme operated with the Dublin Airport Authority, now the Shannon Airport Authority and SR Technics was a partner as well. And the deficit, I think at the time um, I last looked at it, was of the order of 800 million euro. And for the past four years or so, you've been trying to find a resolution that would allow that scheme to be um, funded and closed and for new arrangements to be put in place for uh, the current workers of our Lingus DAA, etc. Excellent summary. I could not uh, add uh, one sentence. With other words, it's very, very complicated. And we have, I think, exhausted all mediation bodies in the land uh, to arrive at this expert panel recommendation, which is based on the Labour Court recommendation from last year. Uh, we all believe that this is the only solution uh, able to be implemented and capable to be implemented. And um, I think what we should not do is now go back and say what could have been a better solution for Erlingus, what could have been a better solution for the trustees or the employees and all parties. It's the nature of a compromise that all parties are a little bit unhappy. And this uh, joint unhappiness should unite us and to uh, push it now through. Uh, we have started uh, just this week a major communication uh, campaign together with the unions to, in order to uh, really enlighten each and every employee individually what this solution means um, uh, for each and every employee. So we hope that our employees will be called to the ballot boxes uh, in a couple of weeks' time. That will be followed by an extraordinary general meeting of Erlingus where the shareholders will have to vote um, on that uh, contribution. It's 190 so million contribution. It's 190 million. It's a lot of money. And insofar, we have to be able to present to the shareholders a business case. It's not a donation. Um, so I believe we will gain a lot of legal certainty with regard uh, to litigation risks from the old scheme. But first and foremost, a good portion of that 190 million uh, is met by savings from the employee, which will enable Erlingus really uh, to, uh, um, to a better strategic positioning for the years to come. How much in savings are you hoping to achieve from staff? It's difficult to say because it's spread over a couple of years, um, but uh, we have negotiated a very fair mechanism with the unions over the last two and a half years with a lot of moving parts. For example, it was very, very important for us that the lower income brackets uh, are protected a little bit more than the higher income brackets. So we have all different types of mechanism uh, to make sure that this is a very fair result, not only for our active employees, but we have also increased the um, the, the funding of the um, deferred uh, members of the scheme. We have a lot of uh, former Elingus or DAA employees who have left the company at a certain point in time, who basically reserved their right for a pension while taking on another job. Also, these deferred members um, will uh, will receive um, uh, the the necessary amount of money uh, to secure a relatively high funding level. And there are also pensioners of the scheme who were being threatened with a cut in their benefits, weren't they? Is that going to happen? 
Well, that is, of course, up to the trustees. Uh, that we have absolutely no say. You know, there is a new legislation which gives the trustees a certain amount of freedom how to uh, treat uh, current pensioners. But that is one of the decisions we finally, uh, which finally has to be taken by the trustees. So I'm coming back to that picture of the orchestra. The instrument trustees have to play that precise note at the given time in order to uh, to to make it happen. Um, I'm optimistic that the solution of uh, as such is an acceptable solution to all parties. But we have experienced in the past, of course, that very small groups, uh, interested uh, groups, um, um, can raise a voice with a new idea and the whole process starts from the beginning. I, for the first time, feel that expert panel trustees, the companies, the employees and the unions are all now on the last lap in order to put this to bed. And if everything is uh, going according to plan, we hopefully will have a positive uh, vote from shareholders and employees prior Christmas. Now, of course, th- this is a pension scheme that involves cabin crew and general staff. There's a separate one then for pilots and mm-hmm. that's also in deficit. And they're also making noises about balloting for strike action. Where are you at with the pilots? Uh, the ballot paper, of course, have a lot of provisions in it, one of which is that um, we should not breach collective labor agreements. I believe every pilot has to vote for that. So, you know, amongst other things, uh, there is uh, a lot. But uh, coming back to the pilot's pension scheme, there is a deficit. We currently evaluate that jointly with the actuaries of the pilots and uh, from us, the trustees. Um, the good news is this scheme is less complicated because it has one employer and uh, and less employees, so a solution is much easier to achieve. It would be our attempt to put also that question to bed uh, in the next couple of years, uh, but we are in very intensive talk with the pilots and I'm optimistic uh, that, that we also can resolve that issue. Again, it's much smaller uh, by dimension and it's less complicated. How much will it cost, Erlingus? It's uh, too early to uh, to throw with numbers. That is exactly the homework we are currently doing. And what's the size of the deficit at present? Um, uh, I cannot tell you uh, exactly because, of course, you have to take the refinancing mechanisms into account. Again, I do, wouldn't not like to quote numbers here while negotiations are ongoing. Right, okay. Now, your own pension came in for attention earlier this year. Mm. Um, Just to remind people that uh, in 2013, you received an increase in pension contribution from Aer Lingus uh, from a level of about 25% of your salary to approaching 40% of your salary. So the payment was €175,000. Now that stoked up a lot of anger um, with your workers, uh, given that they were being asked to take reduced benefits in their own pension scheme. And it also um, uh, prompted the government to take the very unusual step of voting against the remuneration uh, proposal that was put to the AGM as a protest against um, this increased pension. And they had very strong, Minister Varadkar at the time, Leo Varadkar, the then tourism minister, had some very strong words um, to say about that. The proposal was passed at the AGM, ironically with the support of Ryanair, um, your your big rival and your biggest shareholder, but it only squeaked through, if I might um, put it so. How did you feel about all of that? 
That uh, was certainly a very um, interesting event for the Irish media. I think uh, that paid back for a couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, in all honesty, I have to say the research was not done correctly. Um, the entire thing rooted back in 2011, where I had earned a, a very significant bonus due to the Greenfield program. I have deferred that voluntarily. That was the year when the CFO earned more than the CEO, if I remember correctly. And uh, part of that uh, basically deferred payment uh, came through as a salary increase and the remuneration report says nothing but that I'm entitled to put that amount of money through a pension scheme. Uh, the fact of the matter is, Kieran, that since I arrived here in Ireland, I have not paid a single penny into the pension scheme. I have taken it out normally as salary and have taxed it with a full 52% uh, uh, of income tax. So um, that uh, tells me once more that, um, of course, remuneration reports are long and detailed, but one has to read them very carefully uh, to, uh, to hammer down the truth. And the entire story, I think, is much easier to understand if you read the reports from 13, 12 and 11. Sure, but let's forget the media reports. Um, this is a, you know, the government made its own mind up on this matter. Um, and are you saying that the government basically got it wrong? They misinterpreted um, your remuneration? Yes. Right, okay. Um, and they said at the time that they had engaged intensively um, with the airline over this issue and that they thought it was inappropriate um, that the pension contribution should go from 25 to 40%. So what pushback um, was there uh, by Aer Lingus to the government at that time before they took that unusual step of voting? And let's not forget, the government owns 25% of Aer Lingus. It's a former state-owned, fully state-owned uh, company. It is highly unusual for them to take such a step to vote against a resolution such as that. I would say that it's the ultimate right of every shareholder to vote without giving further explanation why that vote is done. We have dealt with it in that very uh, in that very manner. Um, I have not been involved in any discussion of this matter with the government. Okay, were you surprised, Ryanair supported your remuneration? It's a good remuneration and it's a good remuneration report and that is uh, to be voted upon. There is uh, absolutely nothing to say. I believe our remuneration report, if you benchmark it in the industry, is the most detailed you can find in the Irish, uh, in the Irish Stock Exchange. Did you consider resigning at the time? No, certainly not. Did the board, did it come up at board level? Did, did you offer to resign or... Um no, we have other things to do. It was uh, very, very prominent in the press, but in the run-up of an EGM, uh, I have all different other things to do uh, than responding uh, to that allegation. Okay. It's a voluntary resolution by our links as well, isn't it? It's a say on pay. Um, they don't have to put it to shareholders. They, the company has chosen to do this. Absolutely. And uh, that's the reason why I think that is uh, the, the last best argument uh, to say that we have nothing to hide. Right, okay. Let's just talk about Ryanair and its shareholding in the company. It owns just under 30%. You have the government then owning 25%. Etihad has a few percent as well. Um, what's it like having your biggest rival, your biggest competitor in the Irish market, as also as your biggest shareholder? That is quite unusual, and that is the reason why we have carried that case not only to Brussels, but also the UK Competition Commissioner has looked into that. Uh, I think the sell-down order, which has been uh, published by the UK Competition Commission, 
is basically a verdict that a main competitor should not own a much smaller competitor to the degree of 30%, which, of course, under normal circumstances would yield a, a fundamental strategic influence on the company. Yeah, the UK competition uh, authorities have looked at this matter, looked at Ryanair's shareholding in Erlingus and decided that it should uh, be forced to divest of that. Mm-hmm. But Ryanair is challenging um, that assertion, isn't it? Uh, Ryanair has exhausted almost all appeal uh, um, um, possibilities available and uh, we expect that uh, I think the next step to uh, to uh, um, occur then in the first quarter of next year. But the market is assuming that the sell-down order is, uh, ex- is expressed and it's valid and it's just a question of time until it will be enforced. Yeah, and on your watch you've had a third takeover attempt um, from Ryanair. How distracting was that? Not so much. We decided literally on day one that we separate the entire defense mechanism from the running of the airline. Uh, I focused with my team entirely on the running of the airline. Of course, we were involved peripheral, but uh, I think we minimized the distraction such that uh, during the bid, uh, we produced another very strong set of financial results better than before. Right. And Ryanair has always claimed that it has no influence over um, Aer Lingus. So does it really matter if they're a shareholder or they're not a shareholder? I mean, what difference would it make to Aer Lingus if they weren't on the register? Well, first of all, it's very unusual that someone who is buying 30% in a company has not so many good things to say about the company. Normally, you would expect a certain loyalty from shareholders to their property, uh, nothing else. Um, we unfortunately have never benefited from uh, from that support and uh, insofar it is simply disturbing for a CEO having a principal shareholder which is the opposite of supporting. Right. What's your view of Michael O'Leary? Michael O'Leary is without any doubt uh, they are one of the best airline executives in the last hundred years of aviation. Have you met him since he became a shareholder of Aer Lingus? Oh, yeah, many times. Uh, no, no, we have, uh, I mean, we have also obligations uh, uh, towards uh, the, the stock market. We are uh, in regular contact with Ryanair. In fact, we present our results uh, every quarter or every half year. Um, no, we have uh, we have a really very profession, a very professional relationship uh, with Ryanair. And what about the future of Aer Lingus? Does it have a future as an independent airline as it currently stands or does it need to be, as Michael O'Leary has um, alluded to, that it either needs to be owned by the likes of a Ryanair and IAG, which includes British Airways, Air France, Lufthansa, one of those big uh, European airline groups? A listed company, of course, is for sale every day. That is a fact of life, and you have to manage the company really with uh, with that possibility in mind that someone makes an offer tomorrow and uh, and buys off if that should be no case for the competition commissioner. Now, is it necessary? We don't believe so. We have, in fact, the strongest balance sheet in the uh, in the industry. Our unrestricted cash is almost one annual turnover, so there is absolutely no need for consolidation because we need help. The opposite is the case. We are approached each and every day by other airlines who desperately want to be bought by us. Um, that uh, goes into the direction of consolidation. Very often it's said the situation will end up like in the United States with three major flag carriers. 
and uh, two low-cost carriers in the United States is Delta, uh, United and American, plus Southwest, plus JetBlue. And people very easily say in Europe it's almost the same. It's Lufthansa, Air France, IAG, EasyJet and Ryanair. Um, but people, of course, do not do proper research. We have in the United States Frontier, um, we have Hawaiian, we have Alaskan. These are all proper profitable, smaller, uh, but listed companies, and nobody questions their independence uh, up to now. I see Aer Lingus in a similar situation. We are a niche carrier because we are connecting Ireland as a with a world that is quite unique in the context, and uh, we are innovation leader, and in so far, I believe we will always defend our place in the aviation world. So you think it can have a future, a long-term future as an independent airline? It can absolutely have a uh, future as an independent airline. I would even say, should we become part of a larger group, maybe not even majority owned, uh, I believe the brand, the value proposition, the root network, all as such, a potential buyer would be very, very wrongly advised uh, to ever consider uh, to change the name, the brand and the purpose of the company. Might that strategic player be Etihad? It's already a shareholder and it's been rumoured. In fact, they've made it clear that they would be interested in talking to the government and possibly Ryanair about buying their stakes. Well, Etihad, uh, of course, has acquired just in the last 24 months a couple of carriers uh, all over the world in India, in, in Serbia, in Germany, in Switzerland, and now in Italy. Um, so that is not far-fetched. Can Etihad become a majority shareholder? No. Um, this uh, um, is restricted due to foreign ownership roles. Um, so Etihad can maximum uh, go to 29.9% because e everything above 30% would trigger an offer obligation for the rest of the company and since that cannot be um, delivered uh, due to the foreign ownership rule it's restricted to 30% Right, okay, but do you think Etihad would be a good, uh, potentially a, a good strategic uh, shareholder for Aer Lingus you know, of the order of a 25-30% stake? You will have to ask uh, Etihad Right. But what's your view? I mean, you're the um, chief. <coughs> I'm always of the opinion that shareholding in a company, uh, particularly if it's a trade buyer, should be underpinned by commercial benefits. So I'm, I would not be a friend of a financial investment. Let's say we buy a stake in a carrier in the United States where we have absolutely no relationship to. Um, and if you work from that assumption, then you have to, of course, explore what is the capacity of commercial benefits for Etihad and Erlingus. Um, we are pretty far away from each other and we have basically only one route in common, which is between Abu Dhabi and Dublin. Um, that certainly carves a little bit the uh, or is, is putting a ceiling on the commercial benefit on the revenue side. But we are currently exploring with Etihad whether we can enhance the synergies due to a joint purchasing uh, projects. So we have a very strong uh, relationship with Etihad. This week we have a delegation down there studying their op center. Um, so it's a very, very harmonious um, and, and friendly relationship. Um, what happens on the shareholding side Again, uh, nobody would have expected Etihad to buy Alitalia, and, and so far, um, I, uh, I'm not a spokesperson for them. Yeah, okay. But in terms of the government's shareholding, would it be beneficial for Erlingus not to have the government as a 25% shareholder? 
The problem is not so much that the government is a 25% shareholder, but with the government and Ryanair jointly being above 50%, that reduces the liquidity of our stock. And uh, we have a lot of interest from institutional shareholders, particularly from the United States. They want to buy um, shares in the magnitude of, let's say, 5%. Um, but of careful investor, of course, has to always think about an exit strategy. And with that a small amount of free float, uh, let's say two big shareholders are not the perfect constellation on a share register because it limits other smaller institutional shareholders to free trade. So that is less the, the nature of the shareholder being a government that is absolutely legitimate. It's just eating up a lot of free float, these 25% uh, Sure, of course, having the government as a 25% shareholder during the Ryanair bids was, was handy because they were a, a useful ally in uh, batting away those bids, weren't they? Yeah, but no, I would say the Irish government uh, was not able to protect us from that bit. That was the European Commission and the European Competition Commission. They would have significant influence in Brussels, I would imagine. I'm sure the Irish government would get a hearing. No, a the hearing. commissioners are completely independent institutions. Um, they are not subject to any political influence. Christoph, when you came here in 2009, what was your view of the Irish economy and what had gone on beforehand with the property bubble and um, the credit crunch and the crash and so on? I know that only anecdotally, because during the entire Celtic Tiger, I haven't been in Ireland, which is regrettable, but I know Ireland from the early 90s, so that was yeah, a little a bit party. my reverence point. And still, I think if you compare the early 90s um, with 2009, significant progress have been made. Um, what uh, what uh, is, of course, striking, if you go back five years, how long the financial crisis lasted in Ireland. I recall that Frankfurt Airport Amsterdam Airport, they reported already record numbers in 2010, which were higher than 2008. Um, we have lost 30% of our traffic here in Ireland between 2008 and 2010, and we have recovered only 15%. So we are only halfway up the ladder from the high point uh, prior to the financial crisis. That demonstrates um, how deep the fall of the cliff was, and uh, that makes me even more proud that the team has achieved in a declining market that uh, financial turnaround. Uh, the, the circumstances and the prerequisites were not very supportive. And finally, Christoph, I mean, your time isn't quite done yet in Erlingus. Um, you, you won't finish until next May, but what's been the high point um, for you and what, what's been the low point? I think it was uh, number one. Five, looking back five years for me is more than one or two years. Time was flying, uh, but that is always if you work hard. And uh, I have to say, uh, we had a lot of really good news. Uh, literally every year, uh, some other elements of our new strategy have worked, uh, be it long haul, be it short haul, be it the hub in Dublin, the opening of Terminal 2. So I believe it was a constant of uh, a succession of reasons uh, to celebrate a little bit with the team and uh, that is really the feel-good uh, factor of Erlingus. Uh, I love that company. And what about the low point? Low point, I cannot really say, uh, but I have a tendency to, uh, let's say, forget negative uh, impacts very bad. As you said earlier, I think my frustration is sometimes that things which are obvious are sometimes taking incredibly long to implement, uh, making reference to the pension. That is certainly uh, something which is a low point. And of course, every industrial action, um, you, you cannot 
totally abstain from from the impact it has because it's always a cry for help. It's always a, a, a sign that there is some misunderstanding between management and employees. And if I talk to my employees on a you know face-to-face -face basis every day in the parking lot or when I walk the terminal. Um, of course, you think you are in speaking terms and people come to your office and, you know, discuss the issues before uh, going on strike. And that is, of course, a little bit uh, a setback after all the efforts we have put in place to, to improve that, um, that literally destroyed relationship I found in 2009 between management and employees. I thought your high point might have been Germany winning the World Cup in Brazil. That was uh, something, um, I have to say, my son is wearing the, the jersey of Müller um, ever since, and uh, that is the biggest attempt to not make him not sleep in it. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we won't be playing for Ireland in years to come. Then. And um, Christoph, any chance that the board might perhaps be able to persuade you to stay on as CEO beyond May, or have you definitively made up your mind that... Let's not speculate about that. Uh, I'm uh, in constant discussion with the board. Uh, I will certainly not do anything which harms the company. Right. So you're leaving the door ajar. Perhaps is the answer to that. Well, I'm uh, I'm trained in emergency rooms. Uh, you only can be satisfied if the patient is leaving the room in a good in a good condition. Right. Okay, Christoph Muller, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Okay, that's it for this week. I'd like to thank the producer Sinead O'Shea and sound engineer Gary White. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.